this is the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Cranson. You may have seen the headline recently, Michigan Council on Future Mobility and Electrification recommends policy changes, investments to better position the state as a transportation leader. So what does that mean? Unlike the weather, mobility in Michigan is an area where people don't just talk about it, they actually do things. So here to talk about the highlights of the report, look back on what was accomplished in mobility in 2022, and what we can look forward to in the future is Michigan's Chief Mobility Officer, Trevor Paul. Welcome back to the podcast. Mr. Cranston, it is really great to be here with you today. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Did you have a good sort of like entrance to the holiday season? Very nice. Uh, You know, Boynton Mountain had enough snow to open up, so we were up there for a couple days. Unfortunately, it got warm and the base diminished during uh, that period, but it was still nice to get some early season runs in. So yeah, you're mo- do you, I'm, I'm, you seem like a moguls guy. I could be wrong, but <laughs> yeah, there definitely are no. There's no, no. bumps yet. That's for sure. Okay. But I, but I am. Um, I mean, my knees aren't what they used to be, but I do like to ski the bumps. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I, you probably didn't want to talk to me today to talk about moguls. So should we get into mobility? No, we could do a podcast on Michigan skiing another time. <laughs> but okay, yeah, talk about. What kind of year was it for mobility in Michigan? Do you feel pretty good about things? Yeah, it was an active year. It was a, a year where things moved in dog years. Um, we had massive investments, um, the largest investment General Motors has ever made in its company's history, made right here in Michigan. In the span of a month, we had a company that started only years earlier, uh, announce a battery plant, $1.5 billion battery plant in, in our next energy right in Southeast Michigan on the same day that another company announced the largest ever investment in Northern Michigan for a battery plant. In total, that those investments added up to $4.5 billion and 4,500 jobs. Um, and I believe if my numbers are right, that Northern Michigan investment uh, will lead to about uh, nine to $10 billion in net new personal income over the next 20 years for that area around Big Rapids. Um, so on the economic development side, things are humming, things are booming, but there's also a lot of uh, to be excited about um, as it relates to infrastructure and, and you know movement on the Cavenue corridor, that Detroit Tan Arbor self-driving vehicle corridor, movement on the wireless charging road um, with, that we're partnered with Electrion uh, to, to bring forward. Um, we announced some really cool things with the Lake Michigan circuit, that signature EV route along Lake Michigan that we're now turning into a loop uh, because Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana thought it was a really great idea. And we think together we can reinvent the American road trip. Um, and then we Talk continue. about that a little more and what the idea is there to, to make people understand that that's all yeah, about, sure. you know, a seamless, you know, range anxiety free existence if you're driving an EV, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. So the idea is... Um, you know, when you think of ecotourism, uh, you think of resorts, but not necessarily the space between, you know, resorts and your home. And so we were thinking, well, what about that space? How could we make it greener? How could we bring attention to the tourism clusters uh, along um, the West Michigan coast and up into the UP? Um, and and how do we also um, use that as a as a signaling that it's OK to buy an EV? Because there are chargers in in non uh, or not as populated areas, your range anxiety can go away uh, in part. Um, and also, it's a unique challenge to um, install chargers along a route with low grid power. 
And so you're, you know, we also look at it as a test bed where we can try new uh, solar innovations uh, that can supply power for charging or, um, you know, there's even points where you could potentially look at old infrastructure, like from a lighthouse and, and rethink that to help charge a vehicle um, or even energy storage innovations. Or there's there's some technologies that actually create their own kinetic energy in the middle of nowhere. And that kinetic energy can charge a vehicle, these these boxes um, that sit next to the charger. So um, for all those reasons, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, we think there's enough to see along along the route and even in Wisconsin and Illinois and Indiana. Uh, and lucky for us, Chicago's there, too. And, and a lot of their networks are already built out. So we're excited so about that project. Where do you see this going from a, a revenue standpoint? Because there are still people that, that think they make a public policy argument that we should, you know, for reasons of sustainability, we should subsidize charging stations. Um Obviously, if you're in the, you know, fossil fuel business, you think, well, my goodness, you don't uh, provide gas free at rest areas. Yeah. So, you know, so what, where do you think that shakes out? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're look. the state just got one hundred ten million dollars for charging infrastructure through, through the infrastructure plan. Um, it's it's incumbent upon state government to ensure the equitable rollout of charging technology, which means we have to hold the pen at some point in this process of rolling out charging infrastructure. Um, we also have the federal funds to do it, and those funds can't be used for like other things. There's very specific ways to use it. And so one of the other highlights for this from this year, um, so I talked about economic development projects. I talked about some of the cool infrastructure projects, but also the federal funding wins. And so we, our team, um, it's called the NEVI, uh, the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program, $7.5 billion nationally. We got 110, our plan was approved. And so now we're already beginning to build out along strategic corridors, usually in interstates, because uh, we have to designate all the corridors you're gonna use. Um, so think 75, 696, 94, 69, even in the UP, I think it's two. Um, building out those that reliable charging network that will uh, create worry-free travel, um, hopefully by, you know, in, in a few years or later in the decade. Um, and, you know, I think like there are unique, I mean, granted, that's only on the interstate, right? There are unique cases we still need to tackle in cities, things like multi-use dwelling charging, um, even in areas where maybe there aren't high levels of EV adoption. How do you create, like, in, like, ignite those adoption levels by creating, by building chargers in a community that maybe they're paid for by the marketing, uh, that maybe there's a screen on the charger and, and companies can, you know, like post their brand, post, a, post an ad, and that pays for the charger so the community doesn't, state doesn't. There's different models that we're exploring. It's an, it's a, it's a wild west. And it would be naive of Michigan to just sit not active on the sidelines and watch everything play out. It's much like how we were, I'm sure we were very active in the rollout of traffic signals and stop signs and pavements and, and everything else that's happened in the history of infrastructure in this country. Now is not the time for, for us to hold resources latent. We, we need to be out there using it, making a difference. Yeah, I, I think well said. I think that uh, the Wild West is what it is in a, in a good way. The opportunities are limitless, really. So yeah. We will continue the conversation right after a quick break. If you're enjoying today's Talking Michigan Transportation podcast and would like to learn more about some of the exciting innovations going on at the Michigan Department of Transportation, check out the MDOT YouTube channel for videos featuring project updates, safety initiatives, and program highlights. 
go to youtube.com slash Michigan DOT and subscribe. So talk a little bit about, uh, I saw that it, it, within the recommendations, you know, highlighted in the report were a transition and growth in the mobility industry and workforce. And there were some specific bullets attached to that. Uh, how do you, how do yeah. you, how do you talk about that? Yeah. So one of the other big wins. Uh, so again, we talked about economic development and infrastructure and federal funding. We also rolled out a state strategy for mobility this year um, that laid out some ambitious goals. Um, and they were organized in three pillars. The first was transition and grow our mobility industry and workforce. The second was provide safer, greener, more accessible transportation infrastructure. And the third was lead the world in mobility and electrification policy and innovation. And then under those, we had ambitious goals. So one of the goals was to, to create 20,000 new mobility jobs by 2026 but also increase the median wage. We also wanna add um, 7,000 people with new mobility credentials uh, by later in the decade and increase industry diversity. Um, as it relates to infrastructure, we wanna have 100,000 chargers on the road and 2 million EVs by 2030, hydrogen infrastructure. Um, we wanna make sure that all 77 of our transit agencies have um, software as a service options or, or things that can even you know easier sort of payment systems. We wanna make sure our software can improve our transit uh, experience, which we think will up ridership. Um, and then finally, of course, we wanna you know, bring down traffic crashes and, and congestion leveraging new smart technology and AVs. So all of those things in the strategy that the governor announced at the Detroit Auto Show were considered, and actually those three pillars were used in uh, this this year's annual report from the Council on Future Mobility and Electrification. And just as a refresher, so this is a group that literally meets every month to try to disrupt state law, to look at things in transportation law that are archaic, don't make sense, uh, or th places where we have gaps in coverage where, or where we can lead. And, and then releases sort of a substantive list of policy recommendations um, annually that then we chase with legislature through the year. Uh, and this group is made up of OEMs, suppliers, um, unions, universities, uh, bipartisan legislators, state department directors, economic developers, cities. Um, so the list is, is, is pretty, it's, it's a cross function of our economy. Uh, the list is pretty, pretty diverse and, and substantial. And so to, I guess to answer your question, you know, there's a couple of different things that we're trying to do under each of these pillars, Jeff. Should, should do you want to just like, you want me to go through them or? Yeah, I guess I. Yeah, I, I'm most interested, I think, in the things that involve alternative fuel corridors. You touched on hydrogen, and I think um, there might be some confusion out there about why are we going all in on EVs if we really think hydrogen is the future. But it's yeah. not. It's not an either or question, right? No, it's not. I mean, hydrogen is at the moment maybe not the best solution at scale for passenger vehicles like sedans and SUVs. It is by far an intriguing value proposition for medium heavy duty trucks, off-road vehicles, airplanes, boats, all these other modes of transportation that are many critical to the supply chain and critical to our economy, which is why it's getting so much attention and why Michigan views it as a priority. You know, we, we think eventually too, it will make it to passenger vehicles. Um, one thing about hydrogen is, and, and versus electric electric vehicles is, you know, you get to a point, there's an economies of scale issue when the battery's too big, it it causes the, the vehicle to weigh too much. If the vehicles is say, you know, uh, a, a long haul 18 wheeler, where it's just not, not, a, not a good way to save cost if you're a fleet operator. Um, and the thing with hydrogen is you lose that weight and it's also the same routine. It's literally like you get out, it takes three to five minutes to pump your vehicle full of hydrogen, then you're on your way. 
Um, and so that's why hydrogen makes a, a ton of sense. Um, where the battery uh, has been optimized and now is, I think, a more cost-effective choice. That's where you're seeing some of these smaller vehicles, these passenger vehicles, lean in towards electric. That's why GM feels comfortable committing to an all-electric um, model portfolio by 2035. That that's that's the deal. Um, so hydrogen is is very much additive to electric vehicles and or batteries, and and batteries are very additive to what we're thinking with hydrogen. But I, I think for real, hydrogen is going to stick around. It's going to be something that we're going to continue to prioritize. The state wants, we want to lead on this. The governor wants to lead on hydrogen. Well, you know, when it comes to leading, I know I get questions from people that I know in other states about Michigan and, and why we're going all in on this. And at the same time, we want to be the leaders in mobility and in public policy around mobility. This is also a, a, a matter of reality and responding to our biggest employers saying that this is where they're going. Like you just mentioned what GM is doing. Um, Ford's doing this, the same thing. And so are the other automakers. So. Yeah. And the supplier, the tier one suppliers like Forvia is a, is a hydrogen arm of, of Farisha, um, which is the, the, one of the biggest global suppliers has a massive base here in Michigan. They are, they're all in on hydrogen. Like, and there, there are other suppliers like them that, that see this opportunity. Keep in mind, electric vehicles require less parts. And so to maintain profitability, maintain the jobs you have within your company, you need to begin to think out of the box and find new ways to make money, uh, find new transportation modes to add value to. And hydrogen, um, just by virtue of the technology and the systems, um, lends itself very well to some of these traditional automotive suppliers. And uh, I think it's going to be critical if we want to make sure that there's there's going to be a little bit of displacement, regardless, as we head towards you know a future that doesn't have as many internal uh, combustion engine vehicles. But to minimize that, we need to make sure that we're leading in other areas. Yeah, and that's that's training, and that's community colleges readjusting for the kinds of jobs that involve you know repairing these kinds of vehicles and understanding this kind of technology, right? Yeah, no, 100%. And uh, you know, just as a quick aside, I, I think. Lately in the news, people have, you know, with the the news of Argo and Ford, you know, people have thought that AV technology has stalled. And I don't think it's the case at all. Um, just in the last year, there have been $12 billion put in the AV companies. Um, in the last decade, $100 billion in AV companies. Um, much like electric vehicles in 2008, 2009 were all the rage. And then they kind of like went to the back page of the news and then they weren't in the news at all. They kind of went dark side of the moon. But that money that they invested it during that that decade stayed in the system and batteries became cheaper and lighter vehicles became easier sort of to scale at, with an electric model like i think av technology needs that dark side of the moon in time and i think we're here um where you, you you know cleaner technology is getting the headlines and and the attention more than smarter technology uh, at the moment and that's fine because, again, people are still waking up every day and going and working and trying to figure out how to bring the cost down. Uh, try to, and specifically for AVs, trying to bring the cost of hardware, limiting the hardware that you use for a driverless vehicle. So people say it's stalled. I disagree. I think we're very much at a place like where, where like EVs were in 2010, 2011, 2012. And now look at what's happening today. So I think, you know, AVs are going to come back with a vengeance and have the same level of large investments later in the decade and into the 2030s. I think your metaphor is is pretty good, and I'm glad to finally have a Pink Floyd reference on the podcast, but you're absolutely right. There is a buzz right now that AVs, you know, must be stalled out, and I think, I th I think you phrased it really well. And obviously, we still have a lot invested in that, and we've done a lot in public policy, and the council's still talking about that going forward. So 
I don't think anybody in Michigan is giving it a rest. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's just like, just because it's not front, I mean, and, and frankly, it is front and center. Like, it's just not the idea of the robo taxi that's going to be available next week in your city, much like how Uber entered the scene and Bird and, and uh, some of these other scooter companies entered the scene. It's just not going to work that way. But what is going to seem fast and furious are the autonomous features in vehicles. Right. The ability to right. navigate a construction zone a bit a bit easier. The ability to actually and I just was in a F-150 Lightning with um with with Ford's autonomous driving technology. And it's I mean, there were long stretches on, on I-75 where I didn't need to hold the steering wheel and there were turns. And it was kind of a busy time and I felt safe. Um, I felt like it was doing a better job than I could do. No, I've, and, I've and, long thought that if you ask people about AVs, they're like, no, 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 you know, I don't trust that. But then you say, well, do you like your adaptive cruise control? Do you like lane assist? You know, do you like your backing camera? It's like yeah. you like all those things, right? Well, yeah. that's how you get there. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, 100%. Um, so I, I think you know, eventually you're going to get in a place where whole uh, whole acts that you would think would be – uh, I don't know, like further away are going to be a little bit um, in, in your life a little bit sooner than you would think, like parking. I think autonomous parking is going to be something autonomous valet, autonomous trucks along long haul routes. Like these are things that you can easily eliminate the driver from right now, um, as long as the environments around them are controlled. And well, our friend John Brocchio likes to talk about dogs on skateboards. How close are we to that? Uh, I would say five to seven years. <laughs> I'm so glad you had an answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Um, just a couple minutes left, probably. Should we talk we, about? We should probably talk about these policy recommendations. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to go. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you could like sum up what you think are the most important yeah. ones and 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 what's doable. Yeah. Sure. Um, so uh, maybe the best way, because it is a substantive document. Um, it's a beach read if you're ever on a beach, but it is a substantive document. So I will try to hit some of the highlights. So as I mentioned, it's organized by three pillars. That first pillar is transition and grow our mobility industry and workforce. And, you know, we, we're creating all these jobs in the state. All these battery plants are coming here. But we also need to make sure that once folks are here, they can get to their jobs. And there's a good transit system. So we we believe in bus rapid transit and, and we're suggesting additional investment there to revive and also revive some of those mobility innovation challenges that MDOT did a few years ago, the $8 million one um, for, uh, you know, the elderly veterans, uh, personal disabilities to, you know, have better transportation options in their communities, revive those. Well, um, bus rapid transit has been a big success running from downtown Grand Rapids to your alma mater and back. So that's, uh, there you go. That's you a go. good model. Yeah. yeah. And there are plenty of other recommendations, but just because I know, I, you know, we're running out of time, I'll, I'll pick that one from that pillar and then I'll move on to the next pillar. So, the next pillar of the report, pillar two, is uh, providing safer, greener, and more accessible transportation. Um, and so, you know, we're, as we think about uh, EV adoption uh, increase in our state, uh, we know that in, there needs to be rebates and, and different incentives put in place. So we are definitely proposing and, and pushing for what the governor had already laid out, $2,500 incentive 2000 for the vehicle, 500 for charging, and maybe we even do more for charging, depending on where things go. But we do think there should be something in place, as well as accessibility standards for EV chargers, because that's incredibly important. Um, another thing that we spent some time on is, is electrifying school buses, um, just given how much 
pollution that they spread it around communities right now. Um, we think that's that's an urgent uh, challenge to try to electrify all the districts in the state. Um, and then finally, the last one, pillar three, lead the world in mobility policy and innovation. Um, we've seen a spike in both investment across the world, but then also activity and use cases in air mobility and drones and UAS technologies. And in Michigan, we're doing a couple of different things. We're, we're looking, uh, well, we're actually building out a feasibility study to see what a drone skyway in Southeast Michigan might look like if done responsibly. And Ontario is even involved. So we want to put more money into this space. We think that it's going to be something that is going to be part of our lives. And Michigan wants to drive that national conversation as it becomes something that everyone begins to talk about a bit more. Granted, drones to me are like helicopters. Like, I don't want to walk outside, you know, every time I walk outside and see a helicopter. Uh, it's loud. Uh, it's just not what I want. Uh, drones are going to be the same way. And we want to create a system in Michigan where they can do their jobs and be productive and grow as an industry, but not disrupt communities. And that's why we got to start thinking about it now. Um, and then, you know, other things in this pillar just involve like different legislative um, uh, concepts and, and things we'd like to see pass now that we have a second term of a governor and a new legislature and, and things of that nature. Yeah, I think uh, mobility research and development talent tax credit is a, is a great idea. Yeah. That's from a policy standpoint, that would be that would be huge. That is, yep, we want to create a mobility research and development talent tax credit. Spread the word. Yeah. Thanks, Trevor. This is great, as always. Um, we'll, we'll talk again and touch on some of these uh, maybe after the first of the year, see how things are going. And I hope you and your uh, growing family have great holidays. Thank you. Same, same to you. I always enjoy this. I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. You can find show notes and more information at either the Buzzsprout site or on Apple Podcasts. I also want to thank the people who work on this podcast and make it as good as it can be each week. Chiefly, Randy Debler, who does the audio editing. Also, Jackie Salinas, who puts the transcript together. Jesse Ball, who proofreads the show notes. And Courtney Bates who posts the podcasts on the various platforms. 